Welcome, everyone. You are listening to Do We Like Murder? A segment of the Long Overdue Podcast, a production of the Decatur Public Library in Decatur, Texas. Dawn, Denise, what do you got for us today? Good stuff. Yeah. I really liked my book. Oh, good. I think this time we both read really good books. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It was a nice change. Yeah. Last time we were just like, oh, these books, man. (laughs) Yes. And I actually started another one and dismissed it. So this is like my second choice, Mm -hmm. kind of, but a better choice. Is this from the book that you were going to do last time? Like you... Because I know y'all both were reading a book last time, and we decided they were both awful. Yeah, we yeah. kind of just gave up on that. I mean, not that the books, like your book, you didn't say the writing was awful, but no, it was just... No, no, I just, it just couldn't take it. Couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> so, uh, that's why we did a movie one last time. Yeah. Mine drug on and on, and it wasn't actually about the murder. It was the murderer's brother kind of delving into why he might mm-hmm. have done it, and his past, and that kind of stuff, and... Yeah, you're like, I'm not here for this. No, and it was like, okay, we've kind of established that he's had some pretty rough times. Mm-hmm. I don't need to hear some of this stuff. Yeah. And yeah. And that was only through half of the book. I don't even you can't so. make me feel sorry for him. It's I'm just done. like reading about the, the fog or smog or whatever, whenever you're yes. supposed to be reading about it. It's like, what? Right. Yeah. All right, so who's going first today, Denise? <laughs> hmm. Do you well, want to? You um, want me to? I can go first. So I read The Cadaver King and the Country Dentist, A True Story of Injustice in the American South by Bradley Balco and Tucker Carrington. Um, I'm going to just go into a little bit of a couple of the murders that they talked about here because they're connected. Okay. And then a little bit about who the Cadaver King and the Country Dentist were. There's a lot to unpack in this okay. book. Mm-hmm. It's really well written. Um, but Mississippi, where this is the state that this is taking place in, um, has all kinds of problems. <laughs> <laughs> and they go into quite a bit of what the problems is with their uh, forensic labs and who they've got doing their autopsies and just stuff like that. Okay, so this is a fairly new book. Mm -hmm. And so this is recent information about the state of Mississippi. They start out in the 90s. Okay. At least the two murders that I'll be talking about Mm -hmm. were in the 90s. They just recently were exonerated. So Mississippi still has some problems with their justice system. Yes. Okay. Yes. Up until very recently... The Cadaver King and the Country Dentist were actually not doing autopsies and being expert witnesses on the stands. So. Very interesting. Yeah. Can't wait. All right. (laughs) Tell me me more. (laughs) So in 1990, September of 1990, a little girl named Courtney Smith was abducted from her home. She was three years old. She was sexually assaulted, and murdered. LaVon Brooks Mm -hmm. used to date Sonia Smith, who was Courtney's mother. 
they dated for a very brief moment, just a little bit. He thought she was too fast for him. He wanted something serious. She wasn't looking for anything serious. Okay. So he was like, this isn't working out. Um, everybody ended, like, the relationship ended amicably. They saw each other in town and, you know, hi, how's it going? No one had any hard feelings about the breakup. Okay. He worked um, during the week as a janitor at one of the schools. And during the weekends, he worked at the, the only nightclub in town. Um, which he loved because he's a very people person. But I mean, he's also being paid to be at the biggest party in town every weekend. Sure. You know, yeah. so like he's having a great time. Well, Sonia Smith goes out with her new boyfriend. They actually see each other at the club again. Everybody's like, hey, no one's, he's not upset that she's there with someone else. They, they're friendly. Mm-hmm. She leaves her two daughters, her five year old. Ashley and her three-year-old Courtney with her mom Mm -hmm. and her mom lives with her brother and so she left the the two little girls there with her okay so were they they weren't this guy's no no okay no they had just dated briefly they they he never even met the kids like they never got to the point where they're like no you can meet my children okay they never got that far so she left the kids with her mom and she went off with her boyfriend, didn't come back till the next day. Her mom was, you know, put the kids to bed. She was out on the porch just having a conversation with, you know, one of the neighbors. Her brother was asleep mm-hmm. on the couch, was watching football, fell asleep. Okay. So then her mother's boyfriend comes by and is like, hey, let's go out. And she's like, well, you know, I got the kids. Let me go across the street and ask my son if he'll come and watch the kids because Tony's asleep on the couch. Mm -hmm. So she goes across the street. They all live very close to each other. Like she just crosses the street. He's playing cards and she's like, hey, would you mind going home? The kids are asleep, but, you know, just in case they wake up or anything like that. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'll go home. He plays a few more rounds and Mm -hmm. doesn't immediately go home. Okay. So grandma goes out. Mom's out. Uncle is asleep on the couch. And the other uncle's across the street. Someone just walks into their house. Oh, my goodness. And sees the guy asleep, just walks in, picks up the three-year-old little girl, and walks right out with her. Okay, I have so many questions right now. Okay, is this a small town? Um, I've... I want to say that it's a fairly small town. Mm-hmm. I think it was Macon, Mississippi. Okay. Um, but it was a very kind of close-knit neighborhood. Like, there was a whole bunch of houses all together in, like, one lot. So nobody locked their doors and they Yeah, like, safe. he just walked and, in. Yeah. Okay. And so he had to have known that that little girl was there. How did he, he just... He did not actually know that... So I'll get to okay. I'll get to him in a minute. <laughs> okay. So no one realizes this little girl is missing. No one. Grandma comes home sometime late at night. The uncle eventually does come home, peeks in, doesn't really see anything amiss. Mm-hmm. Goes to sleep. Mom doesn't come home until the next day. At this point, everybody thinks like Courtney is with someone else. 
Oh, okay. And so not until they all get together, they're like, where's Courtney? Mm-hmm. Well, I thought you had Courtney. Well, I don't have Courtney. Hmm. And so they, of course, call the police because she's missing. Yeah. They eventually do find Courtney in um, a pond that was oh. pretty close to the to the house. And they discovered that she had been sexually assaulted and strangled and thrown into the pond. The police officer that was investigating, like they called the sheriff mm-hmm. and he goes out there and immediately makes a search party and they start searching. And after the search party leaves, like he's, he's not leaving. Like there's mm-hmm. a missing three-year-old. So he continues to search and he eventually finds her in the pond. Um, gets his detective to start investigating. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that detective had any malicious intent at all. He was just very inexperienced. At this point, I think he'd been on the force with them for like six months. Okay. And so he did not have any experience in investigating a homicide. Why would they do that? I mean, I don't why th- would they let somebody so inexperienced on such a... I don't think they had much of a choice. Okay. Like, I don't think there was a whole lot of police presence yeah and so in the book they talk about how when you look at his reports Mm -hmm. you can see where he's got the like those anagrams on the side yeah to kind of help him remember remember what he's supposed to do do. Mm. like fresh out of the academy kind of thing yeah and so he he didn't have any like really like oh i'm just going to pin this on someone mm-hmm. like i think he really thought that this is the person that did it and was going to do whatever he could to get that person in prison mm-hmm. but because he was so inexperienced he didn't think at all outside of who else could have possibly have been involved okay denise i'm sorry did you say what year 1990 1990 mm-hmm. okay and so they start investigating they talked to the little girl ashley who's five Mm-hmm. Her stories are hugely outlandish. Mm-hmm. She's five years old. Right. Her sister's missing. Like, to think that she's going to give you... She was asleep. Yeah. To give you any kind of credible evidence was ridiculous. Ridiculous, yeah. So, one of the funny things about what happens here is that they don't really have, like, a child psychiatrist or anybody actually trained to go talk to a child that's going through a traumatic event Mm -hmm. to get any kind of information from her. Um, Who they had was someone that used to be involved in children's programming, who they called Uncle Bucky. Oh, my Mm. gosh. Uncle Uncle Bucky... (laughs) Um, used to have a very popular children's TV show on TV, and then one day he just decided that he wanted to be a police officer. So hmm. they put him in charge of talking to children because he had a TV show. Oh, my gosh. Totally qualified. An expert. T- yes, an expert. <laughs> oh. oh. So Uncle okay. Buggy's getting all kinds of stories from Ashley, which they are just sort of picking, like, Oh yeah, that sounds that sounds credible. Uh-huh. Yeah, that sounds good. That sounds that sounds like that could be a real person. <laughs> so, at some point, Ashley says that the person that took her little sister had a quarter in his ear, and so they are like, "A quarter? Do you mean like an earring?" 
And she's like, a quarter. Mm-hmm. So they're like, she means an earring. <laughs> so maybe he was a magician. Yeah. Pulling a quarter out from behind you. Yeah. <laughs> and so they go and they ask her mom, Sonia, like if she knows anybody that wears an earring. Uh-huh. And she's like, the only, the only person that I know that wears an earring is LaVon Brooks. Mm. But she was very adamant that she did not think LaVon Brooks had anything to do with it. Mm-hmm. They, there was no bad blood between them when they split up. They weren't dating long enough for it to have been a huge deal on either party. Mm-hmm. Um, he had never met the kids. He had never even gone to her house. And at this point, she was living somewhere else from when they were dating. So okay. she, he'd never even been there. So it's like, there's no way. It's like, and also, he's a really good dude. Like, yeah. there's just, I don't think he had anything to do with it. Well, because he wears an earring, and Ashley kept talking about someone that she saw with a quarter in his ear, it's obviously this guy. Oh. And so they go to the nightclub to, you know, go find him. He's not there. When he gets there, someone at the nightclub is just like, oh, hey, the sheriff department came looking for you. Something about, you know, Courtney Smith. And he's like, yeah, I heard about that. You know, I was like, man, poor Sonia. Because, again, no bad blood. He was just like, that's that's awful. Uh-huh. And, like, well, I wonder what they want. Well, you know what? I'm just going to go to the sheriff's department and see if there's any way that I can help. Mm-hmm. I'll be back later. He never came back. Oh. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Okay. That's so sad. Mm-hmm. Oh, my word. So, in comes in Stephen Hayne, who is the coroner, who is doing the autopsy. And basically, he, you know, gives them the information. She was sexually assaulted. There was no DNA. But, I mean, in 1990, that was really not... They were looking for it, but not necessarily like this is really going to help much. Mm -hmm. They might be able to do blood typing. Um, Strangled and so on. Well, once they have a suspect in mind, Stephen Hain is suddenly like, oh, well, I see a mark here that could be a bite mark. Let me call my buddy uh, Michael West. He's Uh an expert in bite mark analysis. Let me call him, and I'm sure I'm sure we can find some evidence. Mm. So Michael West shows up. I'm sure we can find some evidence. Oh yeah, oh, my word. Mm. Michael West shows up, and suddenly these two little marks that were on Courtney's wrist mm-hmm. or somewhere on her bar- body were suddenly bite marks. And then in trial, he said that Levon Brooks must have bitten her with only his top teeth. <laughs> Okay, like a vampire. <laughs> that sounds reasonable. <laughs> totally legit, but the jury bought it. Mm. Did they give an example of how you would bite somebody with just your top teeth? No, I'm pretty sure they did not. Okay. So, Levon Brooks gets sent to prison. Um, what sentence did he receive? He received life, and mainly because... Everybody, including the girl's family, was adamant that they didn't think he had anything to do with it and that he should not get the death penalty. Wow. But they're still going to give him life in prison. Oh, yeah. So it turns out that a man named Justin Johnson, Uh 
who lived not necessarily in the area, but often drove around in the area. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was very clearly schizophrenic, mm-hmm. but probably not diagnosed. Um, and so the voices were getting really bad, and so he decided to go for a drive. The voices were telling him that he needed to attack somebody. So this was not the first time mm-hmm. that Justin Johnson had gone into someone's home and sexually assaulted a woman. So he remembered of a lady that he wanted to go visit. Mm -hmm. And so he went to her house, couldn't get into her house. And so then he was just sort of walking around. Mm -hmm. And the voices were getting worse and worse, telling him that he had to hurt somebody. And so then he just went to a house. Door was unlocked, walked in. Saw a guy sleeping, went to go check to see who was in the bedroom, picked up the little girl, and out he went. Wow. Um, his schizophrenia was pretty much what was causing him to do these things. Mm -hmm. Like he took the little girl, committed the crime. The police were informed by several people that they saw Justin Johnson's car by the pond that night that she had disappeared Mm -hmm. in the middle of the night. Where the other guys at work at the club. Uh Uh-huh. Where he had witnesses. Tons of witnesses. Because he worked the door. Then he went to work security at the floor. And then Mm -hmm. after the club closed and there were still people there, he was like, let's make breakfast. And so they had all these eyewitnesses. But they had a coroner and a bite mark specialist saying that it was this guy. (sighs) Okay. The police did talk to Justin Johnson, who mm-hmm. told them that he was at home asleep. Sometimes he drove, drives around when he can't sleep, but he you know, might have stopped by the pond for a little bit and then went home. And of course he's credible. Oh, yeah. Totally. Okay. Totally. If they had even checked, they would have seen that he had just been arrested for sexually assaulting somebody. If they had checked. If they had checked. Oh, my but goodness. But they didn't. They might have checked, and they might have just been like, oh, whatever. He doesn't have a quarter in his ear. Yeah. man right and so off justin johnson goes to live his life which is a very bad thing for christine jackson Uh okay so christine jackson in may of 1992 was also abducted from her home sexually assaulted strangled and thrown into a creek any guesses of who possibly did that one the guy that's in jail. Someone with a quarter in their ear? He doesn't have an alibi. <laughs> After they lock them up, they just leave them there. Yep. Nobody's watching. Nobody's watching. Oh so this was a very, very young couple. Mm-hmm. Kennedy Brewer was not the father of these children, but he was in a relationship with their mother. Mm-hmm. They were teens. They were teenagers. Mm-hmm. And... Um, They lived in a very poor, dilapidated house. The door closed with the help of a bent nail. Okay. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. they were obviously, you know, in some tight situations. Right. Um, Kennedy was left with the kids while his girlfriend went out. Mm -hmm. 
he lived really ne- really close next door to just a couple of friends, mm-hmm. uh, not family. And the woman, the next door neighbor, saw his girlfriend leave and was just like, she's leaving those kids alone again? So she asks her son, her two sons, to go over there and check to make sure that Kennedy's there mm-hmm. because she has left the kids alone before in the past. Oh. So they go, Kennedy's home. He's there. They talk with him for a little bit. They're like, yeah, you know, you should come out. Guys, come over later. We'll watch some TV. You know, I'm staying with the kids, but, mm-hmm. you know, we can hang. And they're like, oh, okay. And so they go back to do chores and whatever. And then later on, they come back and they watch TV with him. Mm-hmm. They leave. He goes to bed. At some point, the girlfriend comes home, doesn't want to knock on the door to be let in because the kids are asleep. Mm-hmm. Both his friends and her at separate times went around and got his attention through the window of the bedroom because they didn't want to knock on the door because in case the kids were asleep. Sure. So he sees her, lets her in, comes in. They're together for a little bit. Everybody's basically sleeping in the same room. Oh. And so he picks up uh, Christine, Mm -hmm. who's also three, and lays her down on a little pallet on the floor. Mm -hmm. And so they go to bed. At some point in the middle of the night, someone just picks her up just from the broken window, picks her up, takes her out. Oh, my word. And they have no idea until the next morning mm-hmm. that she's gone. And so then they call the police, and they immediately start focusing on Kennedy Brewer. Mm. And so they do eventually find Christine in the nearby creek. They do have DNA from her mm-hmm. but it's 1992 right and um Stephen Hain and Michael West show up and do their their act in front of the jury mm-hmm. and he gets sentenced to death oh. oh oh my goodness Kennedy Brewer does not die in prison okay Thank goodness. good <laughs> thank you for taking that suspense away from me mm-hmm. <laughs> I just hate that. I hate that somebody gets in trouble for something that they didn't do. Mm-hmm. That is like huge for me. Mm-hmm. So to have such punishment put upon you and you haven't done anything. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. It's horrible. Yep. And ultimately the girlfriend did testify against Kennedy, but it didn't sound like she did it because she thought he had done anything. This was more of a of a reaction to the fact that the authorities were constantly telling her that they were going to take her kids away. Oh. Mm. So either she was there and asleep and he did something and she knows about it. Or when she wasn't there, he did something and she thought when he picked something up off the bed and put it down on the floor that it was her her daughter. Wow. And so her story went from, I saw him pick her up. Like, I I saw him pick her up. Mm -hmm. And then it went to, I saw him pick something up. I am so sad. I mean, I know that this is not a racial, you know, thing at all, but it makes me realize how people can have issues with the police. Mm-hmm. Because 
I think they're awesome. I, you know, I think they're very helpful and all this kind of stuff. But when you see something like this, it's like, are you kidding me? You're well, looking at the evidence and it's not even, even it close. It doesn't come close. And yet. you're forcing somebody to. Mm-hmm. Well, ultimately what it comes down to, at least in Mississippi, is that they, the prosecutors, they just want to win. They don't. They don't care. They don't care. They're right. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like these guys were just running a circus. Oh, my gosh. So, yes. So, Stephen Hayne and Michael West were the biggest con men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and everybody bought into it. Yes, they were. He was an actual dentist. He was an actual doctor of some sort. Mm-hmm. He was not board certified. He kept saying that he was board certified, but not by any actual credible <laughs> board so, of pathology I, I know we did not have the internet back then to you know get this online degree mm-hmm. uh so he must have done something to get this mail order degree right to put on his wall mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so whenever he would get up to testify and they would ask him if he was board certified he would say i'm board certified with the american forensic pathology board which Sounds very official. Yes. And sounds very much like I'm certified in forensics from the Board of American Pathology, mm-hmm. which is the legit thing. Okay. Um, so, I mean, it's it sounds, sounds very legit. Mm-hmm. And so if you're on a jury and you're like, yeah, that sounds like a real thing. Yeah. You don't know if it's a real thing or not. Well, and you assume that the... Uh, that the, the prosecutors would be using a legit person. Right. Yeah. They would do their job and they would make sure that they're mm-hmm. using somebody. They've checked their background mm-hmm. and it's sufficient. Yep. Michael West was an actual dentist. He went to a conference one day and was sitting on a panel about bite mark analysis. And my favorite... One of those panelists did a whole demonstration about using UV and black light to find hidden marks on, you know, bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not a thing. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, that it was, just doesn't seem no, right. But no, it was, you know, like, maybe we could use this technology for this. Mm-hmm. I. It could be a thing that we might be able to do. Not, I've totally done it. It works. Y'all should do it too. Yeah. And so then he's like, that totally works. I should go back to my practice, talk to my assistants. And then they did their own experiments where they bit each other. (laughs) Why don't you just bite yourself? Why do you have to bite somebody else? (laughs) So he got that stuff that they put on your your gums to make it go to sleep. Yes. Mm -hmm. So they put that on like parts of their body. And I was like, okay bite him oh my gosh gosh. this was reported in the newspaper y'all and then he did his experiments with uv and black light and then suddenly he was an expert he called it the west phenomenon oh really Mm -hmm. and he used (laughs) that in court so many times i'm just gonna put this black light on i'm gonna wear these uh glasses with yellow tinted lenses and mm-hmm. i can see all kinds of things i i think i'm just speechless and I, i'm just gonna to i'm just to gonna that. give you the evidence you need to convict whoever you want to convict not a big deal and that's why they love them 
No background look exploration at all. Mm-mm. Stephen Hain claimed that he did thousands of autopsies a year, which alone is suspect. Yeah. They recommend for an, a coroner to do like 300 autopsies a year if you're going to do it right. Yeah, because I mean, that's one a day is 365. Mm-hmm. So he did several a day. And when asked on the stand how he could possibly do all this, well, he's just not a normal person. <laughs> he doesn't. He's a he super corner. Yeah. He doesn't really sleep. He doesn't take holidays. Uh, Corn- I keep my cape in the closet. Uh-huh. Yeah. Gosh. He's just, not a, he's just not a regular, normal human being. <laughs> and it was like, all right. That sounds good. Oh, my word. And so... This is ridiculous. I mean, this oh, is yeah. real. And this is a state in our United States uh-huh. that is doing something like this. Mm-hmm. And it's not that far, that long ago. Oh, no. No. This was basically, like, their peak. But they kept going. It wasn't until, like, the mid-2000s mm-hmm. where anybody was like, you know what? Maybe we should just not let him do autopsies anymore <laughs> the mid 2000s uh-huh and that means i mean he was doing it before oh yeah now when they finally changed up some of the the laws there mm-hmm. and he had to be board certified with the board of pathology with the american board of pathology okay at that point he could not because he was not certified. And he couldn't probably pass their stupid test. When asked why he was not certified uh-huh. with the Board of American Pathology. Well, he went to take the test, but the questions were just so insulting to his intelligence. Oh, it was too hard. That he got, oh, no, no. He was like, these questions are just so ridiculous that uh-huh. like a fifth grader could answer them. I am way too smart for this so he was so insulted by the questions that he got up and left but the real thing is is that he couldn't pass it yeah they were too hard he didn't know he couldn't pass it Uh, and so and again that totally worked like this is stuff that he said in court in trials okay i've got to ask and you may be getting to this but has he been convicted of anything no Neither one of them. No. Hmm. The, the state of Mississippi did whatever they could to shield these two men. Could you imagine how many convictions would be overturned? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That could be a huge problem. Yeah. Because you don't know if it's, it's real or not. Yeah. It could be justified, but you don't know. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to let those people out on the street. Right. Mm-hmm. And at this point, they've been doing this for so long. You might be able to reinvestigate, but evidence is gone. Right. You know, and but there was so many red flags. It's just like, why did you continue to use these people? Well, because they continued to get up and say, the person that they suspect did it. And here's the evidence for it. Whether it was... Made up or not. Yeah. At some point, DNA became a, a legitimate 
thing. Mm-hmm. And um, Kennedy Brewer, that poor that poor guy. So he he was in prison. Went through as many appeals as he possibly could. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't really have a very good lawyer. Again, uh, their court-appointed lawyers were just... They didn't really have, like, a an innocence project or... Um, the free legal aid? Yes, legal aid. That is it. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I thought... I didn't think it was that easy. Yes. <laughs> or I would have said easy. it sooner. <laughs> <laughs> they, so, they, they don't really have, like, a legal aid system. Okay. So, it's not like you have a group of lawyers that you can just call up and be like, hey... Someone here has been arrested. It's asking for an attorney. They cannot afford one. Send someone over. Mm-hmm. Basically, the court's just like, who's here right you? Okay, you're defending this guy now. So even though our federal system has that in there, in the Miranda rights, mm-hmm. right? If you cannot afford an attorney, one will be appointed to mm-hmm. you. The state has absolutely... No obligation to have an actual system set in place. At least Mississippi does not. Mm-hmm. To have an actual system in place where there are lawyers that are actively doing that mm-hmm. because that's what they want to do. Or they have to put in pro bono hours or, you know, whatever it is. They don't actually have an organization or a system set up for that. Okay. They just pick somebody yeah. out of the phone book. Yep. And neither your good to go or you're not good to go like but the court doesn't care wow and they would consistently deny funds mm-hmm. for the defense to do any kind of their own tests mm. how can they do that they can okay so you've got a medical examiner and even a defense attorney who doesn't really want to be there is like this guy sounds like a quack. Mm-hmm. Could I have some money so I can send this body over to someone else to do an autopsy? Mm-hmm. And the court says, no. Well, Kennedy Brewer couldn't afford an attorney to begin with. Mm-hmm. Lived in a house that was held together, like the door closed with a bent nail. Yeah. The only resources that he would have is money that the court would give them for his defense. Mm-hmm. And they were consistently denying that. So any request that they made for money so they could be so they could get someone else to look over this evidence mm-hmm. was denied. And mainly because the state continued, including the judges, because the judges were all elected. Um, so including the judges were constantly trying to protect Stephen Hayne and his reputation. Hmm. At some point Kennedy Brewer, right? He's he's spending a lot of time writing letters in mm-hmm. prison. He eventually writes to the Innocence Project in New York. Mm-hmm. They take his case nice. because it is obviously all kinds of messed up. Uh-huh. So they take his case. They come. They do their investigation. It takes them forever to get the court to agree to let them test the DNA <laughs> because they don't want to be proven wrong. Probably. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So the DNA comes back. It was not Kennedy Brewer's DNA. So the state says, well, and the the prosecutor um, was, his last name was Allgood. Yeah. (laughs) 
his response to the DNA not matching Kennedy Brewers was, well, just because he didn't rape her doesn't mean he didn't kill her. Oh, my oh, gosh. Okay, that could be, but really? And so Kennedy's sitting in prison until the Innocence Project's like, okay, so basically we're going to have to solve this murder mm-hmm. to get him out. And so they use that DNA to track down Justin Johnson, who has a pretty big criminal history of sexual assault. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, track him down. Please go and talk to him. And um, they talk to him. And he, he confesses. Wow. He confesses. He So even though he's in this altered state, he can still, mm-hmm. he knows what he's doing. Right. He knows that the voices told him to do this horrible thing. He didn't want to do it. Like, that was one of the things okay. that they talked about in the book was that when he kidnapped Christine, because mm-hmm. Courtney stayed asleep the entire time. When he kidnapped Christine, she woke up. He took her down to the, to the creek. Mm-hmm. She didn't seem like she was afraid of him. They sat there by the creek together. She fell asleep. And he was really struggling with the voices in his head. Like he did Mm -hmm. not want to do it. Yeah. So he was crying and he was, you know, just trying to figure out a way to get out of it. But the, the voices kept telling him that he had to do it and he had to do it. So he did. Wow. Okay. And so when they came and talked to him, he confessed. Okay. So the DNA is his, he's confessing to it saying that he didn't have anybody's help. Like he just reached in there and took the little girl. Yeah. And so they ask him if he'd done anything like this before, and he says, yes. And so then he confesses to Courtney's murder. Mm. Oh. And that's how LaVon gets out, because there was no DNA okay. left at, at hers. And so that's how LaVon gets out, is that Justin Johnson is admitting to what he did. So they eventually let... Kennedy Brewer out, even though the state is still trying to claim that he had something to do with it. Really? Mm-hmm. They never formally apologized to Kennedy Brewer. They and did apologize to Levon Brooks. Okay. But their lives, I mean, 20 years? Um, together, they spent 30 years, so I think each one did like 15 or so. Okay. Mm. But still, that's, yeah, that's huge. That's huge. That's a long time. That's a long time. And so, um, LeVon Brooks never even had ever met Sonia's kids. Mm-hmm. He felt really bad for her. Yeah. Because she had lost a daughter. And so he was like, I'm going to go help in any way that I can. Mm-hmm. And he got thrown into prison for a big chunk of his life. Kennedy was raising this little girl like it was his own, and he never got a chance to grieve over her death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, they let them out, finally, after so many, so many years. And Stephen Hayne and Michael West continued to do what they were going to do until... And the, the messed up thing about their entire involvement mm-hmm. was that... There was several different cases where, at, you know, at some point it was like, this is all craziness. There's absolutely no way that this guy can do thousands of autopsies a year. Yeah. Yeah. 
Not even 8,000. No. Thousands. Yeah. Plural. It's ridiculous. And so it was like, yeah. but, so the reason that he would claim so many autopsies was because he would get like somewhere between 500 to $800 per autopsy. <sighs> so he was rolling in the dough. Uh-huh. Wow. And that's not including the fees that he would bill the state for being an expert witness when he went to go testify. That's not talking about his own full-time practice that he had. That's not including, you know, going to conferences and speaking about his great techniques. Like, And he gets nothing. I mean, he is not punished one little tiny mm-mm. bit. Nope. The most punishment he got was when they decided to change up those laws for coroners that have to be board certified. But he still has his practice. Um, at this point, I'm pretty sure he's retired. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. Probably so, because this all came out and nobody wants to go to him. Yeah. Anyway. Mm. So, when that was changed and he had to be board certified, mm-hmm. that stopped him from doing any more autopsies. That did not stop him from testifying as an expert witnesses for the autopsies he had already done. Mm. Okay. So he continued to do that and continue to collect his fee for being an expert witness. Yeah. This is just all kinds of wrong. And Michael West continued at some point other scientists are like, by mark analysis is not it's not a thing, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, we thought it was a thing. We totally did. But once you experiment a little bit more and do a little more research, and it's been years and we've been trying to perfect this technique and we mm-hmm. just kind of realized that it's not really a thing. Michael West is still like, I am a bite mark specialist <laughs> and I can tell you without a doubt uh-huh. who bit this person. Wow. Sometimes they just use their two front teeth to, to bite someone. And so he eventually continued on until they just stopped because he got more and more full of himself. Uh You know, like I can, I can see things that normal people can't see. And so did they just stop asking him? Eventually. Yeah. Okay. Eventually. Eventually. After like 40 years, it sounds like. Okay. And he continued (laughs) to put people away. And so it was just. It was so nuts. Like, and there's there's a lot to unpack in this book. Yeah, like, it sounds like, like it. I'm just talking about these two cases that were linked uh-huh. together by this one person. That little girl, Christine, could still be alive today. If yes. they had just actually did did their job. Right. Because it's not like Justin Johnson's name came out of nowhere. They had interviewed him. They had talked to him. Yeah. They completely believed his, I was at home asleep alibi. Mm-hmm. People saw your car by the pond in the middle of the night. Meh, I don't know. I was at home. Okay. That was easy. Yeah. I totally believe you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. And it's just, it's nuts. Yeah. So, one of the funny things, this is really hilarious. There's a lot of stuff in this book that you're just like, what? How is that a thing? How is uh-huh. that possible? Uh-huh. Well, it's possible. Let's see. Ah, So, like I said earlier, 
Stephen Hain kept talking about how he was board certified. He was certified by the American Board of Forensic Pathology. It sounds very familiar to American Board of Pathology, which mm-hmm. is wildly recognized certifying organization. Okay. Like that's the real deal. His is not the real deal. So the American Board of Forensic Pathology was that was started it no longer exists, by the way. It stopped existing in nineteen ninety six. That's how legit it was. And so, but it was started as a part of a Las Vegas-based organization called the American Academy of Neurological and Orthopedic Surgery. So, why are... Why is a group of neurological and orthopedic surgeons certifying doctors in forensic pathology? Who knows? But they did. And so that group was started by Michael Rask. Mm -hmm. He was a surgeon and apparently a very devoted fan of Frank Sinatra. He changed his name to Bartholomew Sinatra shortly before he died. Wow. Yeah. So Hain was also, he also claimed to be certified by an organization called the American College of Forensic Examiners Institute, which was founded by Robert Louis O'Block. This is good. So he's a criminal justice professor who, according to a journal article, had been terminated from the Appalachian State University in 1991 for plagiarism. (laughs) At his teaching gig, O'Block had developed an interest in the field of handwriting analysis When he applied for membership with an existing organization of forensic handwriting experts, they rejected him. So he decided to form his own. In 1992, he founded the American Board of Forensic Handwriting Analysis. Um, He decided to expand his group to other disciplines, which is how he ended up in the forensic pathology Mm -hmm. field there. He hired his first national training director for the organization. This is so great. So his national training director for the organization was a high school graduate with no college experience who claimed, (laughs) hold on, who claimed he could enlarge women's breasts through hypnosis. (laughs) Wow. The breast enlarging hypnotist would later resign as a result of his own doubts about O'Block's credibility. (laughs) (laughs) wow yes that's when a guy who thinks he could hypnotize women to make their breasts larger Mm -hmm. has doubts about your credibility (laughs) it's time time to leave the game (laughs) yes i would say so and yet somehow he continued to collect new members to his organization in 1995 he renamed the organization the american college of forensic examiners he added the word institute after objections from a group already using the ACFE acronym. He formed a board of directors consisting of himself, his wife, and his two minor children. Wow. <laughs> he paid himself a salary just over $50,000 per year and started a hotline to hook his members up with lawyers in need of expert witnesses. You ready for this? 
The number was 1-800-4-EXPERT. So, expert witness, Mm -hmm. is that like a real thing? Yeah. If you have the credentials and you have the experience, ideally, (laughs) a prosecutor would want to go to you. So, you would be able to testify in front of a jury to say, these are my credentials, this is my experience, and... These are my findings. So it's just, it's kind of like a different form of an, of an investigator. Mm-hmm. People can be experts in a lot of different things. But I mean, so like in, in my book, there is um, an expert on, um, I don't remember exactly what it's called, but like on the blood spat- splatter, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, spatter plat- pattern. Mm-hmm. It's a mouthful. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just I've never heard the term expert witness before. I was like, really? Because because then you know obviously if there's a witness, then then they're the, they're a witness. It's like I'm, I'm an expert witness. It's my job to go around and witness things <laughs> so, so that I can. Okay, so he's not a professional witness where he gets paid to go around and do that. <laughs> I've witnessed a lot of things, and so I'm an expert. I love it. Okay, I'm just making sure that wasn't like a, you know, a made up thing. A made up thing too. Yeah. <laughs> so at some point, Kennedy Brewer and Levon Brooks were exonerated and released. Uh, good. All good. Forrest All Good. That was his name of the prosecutor. Um, when asked in a 2011 documentary to reflect on the cases, All Good pondered for a moment and then he said, "No one died." He was, of course, referring to the fact that neither Brooks nor Brewer had died, <laughs> were executed, but um, two people had died. Two little girls yes. had died, and one of them could have been prevented. Mm-hmm. And let's put you in jail yeah. for 15 years and see how you like it. So, and there's a, a lot in this book about their medical examiner. Um, that position was vacant for like 15 years because they basically didn't want anybody coming and messing up their their little uh, fraud. Who? Everybody. Okay. Stephen Hayne, the prosecutors, uh-huh. Michael West, nobody. They had they had less work to do because they knew this other guy would just agree and find the the, the uh, killer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you got another forensic pathologist saying well i can't tell you for sure that this person was murdered Mm -hmm. like i can tell you that they died this way but i can't tell you for sure if they were murdered yeah well let me just call steven and he'll tell me whether or not they were murdered (laughs) and steven's like oh yeah they were totally murdered and it was this guy he's amazing yeah genius he's a genius (laughs) not a normal person not a normal person (laughs) yes so to end this in a very, at least hopeful and high note, is that LaVon Brooks is probably one of the greatest people I have ever read about. Okay. He spent a big chunk of his life in prison. Mm-hmm. He would help people that came in into, into prison. Mm-hmm. Um, if he saw, like, he stayed out of any kind of gang activity or anything like that. He started to work in the kitchen and he cooked which is something that he had enjoyed doing 
mm-hmm. when he was out and had a job. Yeah. And so whenever he would see someone that was having a hard time, he'd try to give them extra food, maybe a little extra meat in his sandwich or yeah. something just to extend the kindness to them. Um, he never let any of that harden him. When he got out, he was still LeVon Brooks. Wow. And uh, he met a woman named Dinah mm-hmm. while he worked there, while she worked at the prison in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Like she wasn't a guard or anything like that. Okay. And so that's how they met when he got out. They started dating. And so they eventually got married. He uh, proposed, but then didn't want to set a date. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then eventually he he set a date. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. He really likes to hunt. He talks about how um, they did apologize to him, mm-hmm. but like, that? yeah, he he appreciated their apology. Like, um, he was really glad that uh, all good did not continue on because he was he basically was voted out. And someone else took his place. And the most, I guess the most hateful thing that LeVon Brooks said was, did you hear about All Good? I campaigned for the new guy. Oh, nice. Like he wasn't like, you know, glad he's out of there. Or he was just like, did you hear about that? Yeah, I, campa- I campaigned for that other guy. Uh-huh. And that that was it. Um, Kennedy Brewer, he was a little more upset mainly because he had dna evidence and they continued to keep him in prison for several more years because Mm -hmm. they refused to believe that he had nothing to do with killing this little girl um he did have a son and a daughter who at that time when he got out were 25 and 26 oh wow um when he was asked what he missed most about his life after mentioning his kids, he would say real food and a cold beer. And so for his first meal as a free man, he went to Cracker Barrel. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know they served beer. <laughs> Neither Brooks nor Brewer ever knew Justin Johnson. They both knew of him, but he was not an acquaintance of theirs or mm-hmm. a friend or anything like that. Yeah. Um, in February of 2012, Brooks and Brewer rode together to attend the sentencing hearing where he was initially planned, Brewer initially planned to ask that Johnson be given the death penalty. Brooks talked him out of it. He cited Johnson's untreated mental illness. I told Kenny that after all that happened to us, we should be merciful, Brooks says. There was no point in being mad anymore. Wow. Hmm. Johnson pleaded guilty to both crimes. At the sentencing hearing, he told the district court judge Lee... Judge Lee Howard, I wasn't in my right mind when I did it. Howard sentenced him to two terms of life without parole. Brewer says, I don't hate him now, but I do feel bad for him. Mm-hmm. Forrest Allgood never apologized to Brewer. Neither have any of the state officials involved in his prosecution. Despite Justin Johnson's confession that he committed both crimes alone, all good, still insists that Brewer had something to do with Christine Jackson's death. 
So does Michael West. <laughs> when asked what he'd say to Allgood, West, or Hain if he had the chance, Brewer draws a slow smile. I really don't know what I'd say. I'm glad Allgood is gone, but I ain't mad at any of them anymore. The system's going to do what the system's going to do. Well, and I think they've been a big part of probably changing the system. Mm-hmm. So that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. But that's amazing, yeah. their outlook on that. And all of that is just kind of a little, just a little bit, the tip of the iceberg of all the, the mess that's going on in Mississippi. I highly suggest everybody read The Cadaver King and The Country Dentist because there's just some things in there that are mind-blowing. Like, wow. You can't imagine probably that they're happening in this day and age, Mm -hmm. really. I mean, even in the 1990s, it was not that long ago. Right. (sighs) Yeah. Yep. Okay, so while you were going through your book, there was a lot of little correlation things that I was thinking about with my book. Um, Mine happened in Texas. Uh, In Lubbock, actually. Oh. Yes. In um, 1991. So there was a guy who was living out in that area. um, And he was living with a girl. Okay, so... The father was talking to his son, and um, the son was like, yeah, I really, I met this girl, I'm going to propose to her, we're going to get engaged and all this stuff, and hopefully, you know, in this, in the fall, um, I'll bring her home to meet you guys. And um, this was somebody that they had kind of dated, and then she went off to school in, I think, Mississippi. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, and then she came back, and they got back together like over spring break or something, and then um, she was going to come back in, in the summer. Well, in May, so this was like a few days, you know. Anyway, the dad gets another phone call, and it's from this woman that says, um, I got your number from this phone bill, and I'm assuming that you are uh, Scott Dunn's dad. And he's like, uh, yeah, <laughs> who are you? Yeah. <laughs> well, I live with Scott and he hasn't shown up. He's, you know, he's been gone for a couple days. And I was just wondering if you'd heard from him. And uh, so they have this little conversation. He's like, no, have you checked with his friends? Have you, you know, this and that? Mm-hmm. And um, well, the dad knows that he was going to be engaged to this other girl. Her name was Jessica, I believe. It was Jessica. And this girl that was calling him, her name was Leisha. And so um, at one point, I think the dad in that first conversation says something about, well, do you think he's dating anybody else or, you know, seeing somebody mm-hmm. else? And she goes, no. Uh, you know, I'm not aware of anybody else and all that. Well few days go by, still nothing. Dad has not heard from um, from his son, Scott. Um, this lady calls back. She just keeps calling him and asking questions. You know, have you heard from him? And what about this? And what about that? And um, so finally, the dad, it's been over a week. 
it was over Memorial Day weekend or something mm-hmm. like that. He finally called the police. So this happened like on May 15th, 16th. Um, he disappeared. And then over Memorial Day weekend, he finally calls the police. Well, of course, it's a missing person. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, oh, I'm not really concerned. He'll right. show up. And so they really didn't do anything. Well, the detective also had um, another case that he was looking into. And so he thought that that was a more pressing issue so he was researching that well um jim dunn scott's dad continued to call like every day what what are you doing what's going on well this other case the guy showed up he was found in las vegas and he had Mm -hmm. just run off um so it turns out that the um this lady calls the police also and starts you know asking some questions Mm -hmm. anyway they end up saying well can we come over to your apartment and she's like yeah you can come on over well they come over and it was the these two detectives and she mentioned something when they come in about this piece of carpet missing underneath her couch i think i know what this i think i know about this case yes Mm. (laughs) okay So they're like, she's like, she just noticed it when she was vacuuming. And, uh, and they're like, that's pretty obvious. You can very visually see that this carpet is missing. (laughs) And uh, so she said, well, the blankets were, I was sleeping on the couch and the blankets were down around it. And so I couldn't see whatever um so then they start looking around the apartment and they go into the bedroom or the room that they said they were sleeping in Mm -hmm. and there was a patch cut out of the carpet um that could easily have been from the under the couch that they had moved and put in where they had cut out um and there were spots on the carpet that was Uh still there Okay, so so they're obviously suspicious. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's not looking good at all. Yeah. And so they get back and they tell the the dad, things are not looking good. We And so the priority obviously goes up from missing person to potential murder victim. So it, it just, the book talks about this whole back and forth thing and how this Leisha person is very, it turns out that she's kind of like a profile of a... Um, psychopath mm-hmm. because of of what they say a psychopath does mm-hmm. and she fit like all of them yeah and one of them is that she was trying to put herself into the investigation and trying to mm-hmm. be super helpful so that she would not be looked at as a suspect and probably also to get some information like what yes. do you know yes that too um so they finally told the dad to stop talking to her yeah <laughs> So she calls him up one time, and they had come over, um, and she's like, uh, something about Scott's car. Okay, so the police, she keeps calling and talking to the dad about Scott's car, okay? So he's very, this this guy was very possessive about his things, Mm -hmm. his car, and, you know, whatever it was. He has this remote control boat and all this. And he won't let anybody touch his stuff, like his tools, where he works, and all that. And um, so for him to just disappear and leave that stuff was very odd. Mm -hmm. And so then she ends up driving his car 
And the dad's like, okay, that's like, yeah, whoa, wait a minute. So because she keeps talking about it, they think, why is this so important to her? And so they go and they confiscate the car. And then she starts calling the dad and saying, um, I called and talked to the detectives. And the detective said that you could, uh, they could release the car to me if you would just send them a letter. And the dad's like, um, no. <laughs> uh, and so he actually did say that I will give you the car if you are helpful and help us to find Scott. Well, that didn't really happen. She thought, I mean, she was trying to be helpful, but she was being manipulative mm-hmm. is what she was doing. So there's a whole line in here and there's a little bit of information at one point that makes me think that okay maybe there could have been more people involved in this case mm-hmm. um but they really focused on these two people leisha uh, hamilton and tim smith who uh, was in love with her mm-hmm. and um basically would do anything that she asked and there was one point after Scott had disappeared that she was seeing somebody else and they were having sexual relations in this room. And this other guy, Tim Smith, comes in the apartment and just walks right in and says, I need to talk to you. And she's like livid at him. And so she stands up and she's just like yelling at him and kind of pushes him and trying to get him out of the room. And and the prosecutor's like, well, was she wearing clothes when she did this? No, she was not. She gets up and she's like, and so they're trying to say that Tim Smith is not part of this because he was very passive. He would not have instigated the murder of somebody um, because of that, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. That just that relationship that she was the p- more powerful uh-huh. one in that. That is weird. <laughs> anyway. Okay. So they found all this blood. The police go back, they get the forensic, um, uh, pathologist or whatever. Yeah. Right. I hope he's uh, board certified. Uh, exactly. <laughs> they get them involved and they take this substance called luminol mm-hmm. and they spray it on the walls and it detects blood. And it can detect like very minute pieces of blood. But once they put it on, all the evidence is gone. It will kind of disintegrate the blood and all that kind of stuff. So they have to act mm-hmm. quickly and take pictures and do what they need to do with it. Um, you can see in the pictures that it was very obvious that it had tried to be wiped up. Mm -hmm. So you could see the cleaner, the swipe marks on it. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are a couple pictures in the, in the book. It's kind of hard to really make a lot out of it, but you can see the white marks. Um, So those went up to like five feet. Wow. Um, (laughs) Yes. And when they really started looking that there was actually some uh, blood on the ceiling. um, Yeah, it was everywhere. They took up the piece of carpet that had been um, patched and underneath it, the pad was soaked and it had gotten into the concrete. Um, 
it was also you know on the baseboards mm-hmm. and so they took samples of all that and they were able to take the dna from his mom and dad and do a reverse dna test to verify that that person who um lost all that blood mm-hmm. was a descendant of those two people it was like over one in a million chance mm-hmm. that it would be somebody different right um so they knew it was it was scott um but he was just gone nobody knew where he was mm-hmm. they couldn't find him they looked and they'd gotten some leads in a lot of different places they thought maybe he was put in a dumpster and he was taken to the landfill so they went out there and um they did kind of a test where they would kind of go down and see if they could find anything in in like this pattern. Um, but you know, he could have been between where they right. where they dug, and so it was not certain that he wasn't there. Right. Um, they looked out near Tim Smith's dad's place. Um, you know, they looked in a lot of different places to see if they could find him, and he um, Jim. Done. The dad also contacted um, oh, psychics. He finally, mm-hmm. there was a couple psychics that you he... Get, you get desperate. Yeah. And they sound good. They came up with some information that he didn't know. Or he, nobody knew about him. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, okay, this is legit, you know. And so um, he tried it and that didn't work either. Um, so anyway, they were able to gather enough information by using a guy from Scotland Yard. He was a forensic person with the blood. Mm-hmm. And they looked at the blood splatter. And they were able to determine that based on the direction of the splatter that he had been hit at least four times because the first time you're not going to get any splatter and because there's nothing on the bat mm-hmm. or i say bat they don't know what it was right a whatever weapon. blunt instrument they're using yes yeah. um and then you know at least three times after that mm-hmm. based on the direction of the blood they also were able to determine that because of the amount of blood that was lost not including the carpet piece that was taken out, was a significant amount, not enough to kill you, but enough that you would be lightheaded, that you would have trouble uh, getting around and trying Mm -hmm. to get help. Uh, But it's possible that you could potentially get help. But when you uh, combine that with the injuries, Mm -hmm. especially if it were a head trauma, um, you would be incapacitated. You would not be able to get help. So yeah. based on that, they were able to determine that he was murdered mm-hmm. uh, in in that location. So even though they didn't have a body and they didn't have a weapon, this was the first time a case like that was tried in Texas. Hmm. Um, and, well, I say Texas. I know it was in the Lubbock area. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they had tried that in other places or not. There wasn't really a big precedent for it because it was a big deal. Yeah. The, the prosecutor didn't want to, or the DA didn't want to go and try to do anything without a body. Right. Because you think, oh, they're just gone. You know, they could mm-hmm. have run away and just well, and skipped town. Yeah. That makes reasonable doubt. Yeah. You know, it's like they could have just left. 
Yes. Even though a lot of things are like, but would he have left his sweet car? Right. <laughs> his car and all of his tools. Yeah. And, you know, and yeah. And then he was going to get engaged and then he just ditched her too. Yeah. So, so she was real. I was going to ask the, about that. The yeah, girl that Jessica, he was seeing. Yes. This, it wasn't like a. No. A, she was like pulling a fast one or anything like that. No. A real person. So she, um, the the girlfriend, the fiance, um, actually testified in the trial um, because they were supposed to. He Scott was going to meet her at DFW Airport uh, when she was coming through. I mean, there was a certain time they were going to meet, and he was supposed to call her the next day and let her know the details of his flight mm-hmm. and all that. And um, she never heard from him again. What happened, though, is that the girlfriend called um, Scott's apartment and Alicia answered the phone. And they think that's what started this whole thing. Mm -hmm. Because she was very manipulative. She wanted to be in control of everything. And then she realized she wasn't. And that Scott may be leaving her and all this. Mm -hmm. And so she's like, I'm not going to put up with that. Yeah. So here's to you yeah um but so, scott was in a relationship with this leisha person that's or what's not? kind of weird um they were living together so that was true that was true okay they were sharing an apartment but he was i think able to live at another a, a friends or a guy he he worked with his apartment and so I think that there was some trying to break away from that. Does that make sense? Although it wasn't really stated straight out that that kind of mm-hmm. was what his intent was. I mean, we don't know. Right. Right. You only have Alicia's story here. Right. And and so both of their names were on the lease. Mm-hmm. So he was responsible. Yeah. Yeah. He couldn't just move out. Yeah. So it was kind of a an odd situation mm-hmm. anyway. Leading up to him disappearing, he was sick. And I guess there was some kind of a party that they went to. There was some get-together, and he was staying at somebody else's place. Well, he was so sick he couldn't get to the phone or do anything. So he stayed there for a couple days. And then she finally went over and got him and brought him home. And some information that I found made it seem like he might have been poisoned Mm. and because the poison didn't work they had to revert to Mm -hmm. something else and that's where it kind of comes in that maybe more than just these two were in on it um there was speculation that his boss uh may have been uh the business they they were in was in in installing stereos and i guess when they do car shows and different things a lot of drug smuggling goes on somehow in those Mm -hmm. and they were thinking that scott might have been on to the boss and so they were kind of fighting and stuff and and scott had had talked to his dad about starting a shop he's like why don't you move down here from pennsylvania and we can start a, a shop of our own um so, I mean, there's speculation as far as that goes, too, that that other people could have been involved mm-hmm. with it. There was also another lady who came forward that um, she lived uh, across the street from Scott um, a few years prior to this. And 
they were friends. Then she started dating this other guy. And I don't know, somehow they'd run into each other or something. And the boyfriend's like, don't you ever talk to him again. I'll kill him. I mean, he just, he was just basically a redneck that he's going to go out and he's going to take care of business Mm -hmm. if you're ever around somebody else. And he was, he was abusive to her. And Mm -hmm. so she was afraid. And she finally did call the tip line and say, I think he might've been involved in his death. Um, But there was nothing proven as far as that goes. Mm -hmm. So it comes down that they finally decided, the um, DA said, okay, we'll prosecute, we'll take it to trial. They had enough um, evidence, and Leisha was sentenced to 20 years in prison. Um, Tim Smith was sentenced to five years, and the jury wanted it probated. Uh, because wow. they really didn't feel like he was a major part of it. And even if he did, it was all at the prompting of her because he was in love with her and he would do anything uh, for her and, you know, all this. Wow. The, he yes. must have been super pathetic. Mm-hmm. Right? But the the judge said, okay, we can't do that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Well, because (laughs) in the state of Texas, you have to serve at least or have to have at least a 10-year sentence to get probation. Uh Anything less than that, you can't get probation. So um, they changed the sentence to 10 years so that he could could get probation. Get probation. So he was on probation for 10 years. And they said, if you are ever in any trouble at all, you are going. You're serving your 10 years in the penitentiary. Yes. So this was in, uh, it took six years for them to go to trial. Uh, this happened in 91. She was convicted on the six-year anniversary of him going missing. Oh. And it was May of 97. And then the trial for Tim went went right after that. I think it's very fascinating thinking about the case that you just talked about mm-hmm. and how they got life and the death penalty. The case that you talked about, about the Alaska, um, the guy who was murdering up there, mm-hmm. he got four over 400 years consecutive, mm-hmm. you know, and that she gets 20 years. 20. Okay, so that would have put her out last year, 2017. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... As I love to do got on the internet. <laughs> yes. Google, tell me. Where, where is this person? Well, and I think a lot of the times, you know, being young, female, and white mm-hmm. really works in your favor whenever you're off committing murders. <laughs> yeah. You know, that could be as far as um, what, you know, getting convicted. They mm-hmm. didn't want her to be in for that long or something. Um, she was very blatant, it sounds like, from this book in the trial Mm -hmm. about flaunting herself. She was visually flirting with one of the guys in the jury box. Hmm. Um, The first couple days she dressed kind of modestly, but the third day she came in and she was (laughs) just like in her short skirt and, you know, all smiles and all that. And so when she, when the verdict was that she was guilty, I mean, she was just like shocked. Yes. What? (laughs) Hmm. Um, Okay, where was I? Oh, you Googled her. Google, yes. Very interesting, Google. Um, Scott Dunn was found in 2012. 
he was um, buried four doors down from the apartment where he was murdered. Oh. And it was outside. Um, obviously, it was outside. <laughs> well, so, I mean, they could have buried him under some floorboards. Sure. <laughs> put some concrete on there, but not put, not put carpet back down. <laughs> right. So that was too much work. I'm yeah. done. <laughs> so they said that they were very... Um, they were able to hide it very well. And I'm thinking, how the heck yeah. could you hide a big dug-up hole? Uh-huh. So what they said in here is that... This is so stupid. The way that it was set up, there were multiple fences where law enforcement really didn't have a right to be to search for a body. Really? You don't have the right to be there to search for a body? That's crap. Mm, depends. If it's private property, they do not, not unless they have a warrant. Mm. If it's public property, yes, they can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, okay. But you're pretty sure a murder happened four doors down. This is private property. You can get a warrant. Yes. I mean, I mean let's look around at least. Yeah. There's a big, I, I can see that there's kind of a big hole here, but I need a warrant to go in. Like. So something that was very interesting on the internet, I did not see that. It was not in this book at all. But in the internet, it shows the apartment complex, which it's a flat apartment. It's not uh, multiple stories, Mm -hmm. one single story. And outside is gravel. That would be very easy. Mm-hmm. To smooth out mm-hmm. and to cover it up. Just cover it up with some gravel. It just mm-hmm. looked like it was always like yep. that. Exactly. Hmm. However, because of the way they wrapped him up. Okay, so she claimed that there was a burglary. And that they had come in and they had stolen a comforter and some clothes <laughs> and Scott's shoes. <laughs> Amazing, right? <laughs> Crazy. That's what I'm bringing in for. <laughs> they didn't steal the pair of pants that had his wallet and the keys no. to the car. Well, why would they want that stuff? Right. Um, so just needed some shoes, man. Some clothes, a comforter, you know. <laughs> yeah. Just practical things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, when they found him, he was wrapped in some kind of a vinyl tarp thing. I can't remember exactly what they said here, but... She also had said that they slept on a piece of basically an uninflated waterbed mattress. Okay. So that's what it was. And they just had the comforter on there, wrapped it all up, put him out there. Because they did it like that, he was very well preserved. Wow. Hmm. Yes. They were able to put him... things back together as far as his skull where it had been um hit and you know so they were able to tell that he had been bludgeoned to death like mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. they had um had thought and it basically said he he w- had been mummified to a point wow so 21 years i think she served the whole thing so she went up for parole a couple times, 1999 and 2009. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this article, after they had found his body, um, she was going to be going up for parole again. 
And so they were going to obviously try to make sure that she stayed in. Mm -hmm. And I think because she didn't get out the other two times and they just found the body, I think that that she would have stayed in there Mm -hmm. for the full term. However, I was not able to find anything on her. There was um, some, well, if she's not in prison anymore, Mm -hmm. she's not going to be, she's not going to have a record on there. Um, So I did find a prisoner uh, number and all that, but it was from before. So when I actually looked it up, nothing came up. Yeah. I did a quick search just for her name. Some Facebook people came mm-hmm. up. I didn't click on those. <laughs> I don't know if it's her or not. But I'm very curious where she is, what she's doing. Uh, yeah. I hope she changed her name. What did you say? She had like the so the profile of a psychopath or yeah. sociopath uh-huh. or something like psychopath. that? Psychopath. Uh-huh. Like, and- oh, my gosh. We should do that. We should take the psychopath test. Oh. <laughs> Oh, no. I don't know. Special special episode. Oh, my gosh. Right? Um, So, yeah. I mean, they said that they were not going to look for more of a conviction or for a longer term of sentence, even though they had found the body, unless they could. They could. Right, because you've already been convicted. But unless they found new evidence. looking this way or that way you know for so that she did something else right i mean they might be able to charge her with something else but it, it's not going to be murder that's right. the whole double jeopardy thing there yeah i mean slap her with improper disposal of a body and try to get another <laughs> 20 years <laughs> hiding the evidence but i yeah, have obstruction of justice <laughs> i mean you can pile on <laughs> charges like that just yeah. hope that the jury would be outraged and be like, well, we're giving her the max on all these tiny little things and it's going to be 50 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm just flabbergasted thinking about these other cases and what they have received. Mm-hmm. Innocent people receiving mm-hmm. the death penalty and she gets 20, 20, 20 years. years. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I guess that's probably pretty good considering they didn't have a body. Right. And or a weapon. But that's the other thing. Um, I can't find any information that tells why they looked there, how they found him. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think these two ever said Never anything. Gave it up. No. Yeah. So especially they, if she was trying to get parole. Yeah. So it's like, well, were they just digging there for something with the apartment and trying well, to do maybe. something and found something, or was there something else that led them to that point? I mean. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that could have been. If there was someone else involved, did they get an anonymous tip? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you should dig right here. Yeah. So that's information that I couldn't find either about why they found the body. Mm-hmm. Really. Hmm. So uh, the dad was very uh, vigilant, calling the police constantly making sure that they were staying on mm-hmm. everything and um, that was a i think a huge part of it the success mm-hmm. there was also um an organization he had been watching 48 hours and they did a piece on uh, the vidoc society and it's named after this guy who developed this but it's a bunch of um police officers with a lot of uh, experience in forensics and all this Mm -hmm. and they look up cold cases and they try to solve them Hmm. 
And so uh, Jim Dunn contacted them, and they they took his case. If they hadn't done that, I don't think it would have come Mm -hmm. uh, come to this. So that was a huge thing. Uh, I was able to watch um, on some kind of court murder thing Mm -hmm. on um, on youtube Uh they have had like a 20 minute segment about this case Hmm. so um you could potentially look for that i can link it to you if you want to put it up on the the website but uh yeah it was very interesting and this book is called trail of blood is that because they use the blood to solve to convict them Probably. Even though they didn't have a weapon or body or anything. So they were actually saying that they did have a body because blood is part of your body. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So they were hoping to get even a piece of brain matter or something to find that in the carpet. They were not ever able to find any of that. Um, So, but yes, that's what I suspect is why they called it that too. Because they used the trail of blood. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. That's it's, really awful. It is awful. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's amazing. And I know that they do this on purpose. But you read this book and it's like, are you kidding? Man. Oh, just her stupidity. Mm-hmm. Like saying the things that she was saying, trying to get that car. Mm-hmm. And... She would blatantly lie, and that's one of the things that the um, psychopath thing Mm -hmm. is that she would lie and not think she was lying, so Mm -hmm. she could pass a a polygraph. Yeah, Yeah. because she believes her her own nonsense. Brain, it's true to her. Yeah, and so she could change her story, and she wouldn't think that what she had said previously was a lie. Mm -hmm. That it you were wrong. Uh That's not what she had said at all. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, She said that his, his wallet was missing. It was not. No, because she calls somebody else and the guy's like, how did you get my number? I found it in his wallet in Scott's wallet. (sighs) Okay. (laughs) Keep your facts straight lady. (laughs) So anyway. And so the whole investigation started because she called the dad about his son being missing. Mm-hmm. Yes. So she really got the ball rolling. She really did, yeah. Well, at some point, I think the dad would have Well, called. yeah. I mean, yeah. His, girl, I mean, he his was girlfriend suppo- would have been looking for him. Yeah, because, I mean, he was supposed to have gone to visit with his girlfriend, with his fiance. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of little things, but it makes you wonder, okay, would she have called the police? She had not had contact with the family yet, so would mm-hmm. she have tried to find them? She had already called and talked to Leisha, and when um, Leisha answered the phone, um, the girlfriend was like, well, who, who is this? And she goes, well, I'm his wife. <laughs> right? So... Um, I don't think she would have gone down that avenue to try to find more information. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, which the other thing I was going to mention too is the uh, the video that I saw mm-hmm. um, kind of painted a bad picture of Scott. You don't get that in here uh, because it's coming from his dad. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think that that's probably a lot of the reason. But, you know, kind of said that he was a player 
that he was not he had one girlfriend somewhere and was living with yes else. yes does and it mean he deserves to be bludgeoned to death right <laughs> right exactly um and that you know there may have been more drugs involved because of that whole mm-hmm. whole thing and um he was a partier and you know mm-hmm. thought a lot of himself and all that kind of stuff but you're right i mean the whole yeah um so anyway, different viewpoint. It was interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how you would, in, in a situation like that, I don't know how you would predict that the person that you're living with is a psychopath who is potentially going to murder you. Because I was going to say, like, maybe, you know, if he had been a little more careful, he might have saw that. Like, maybe this is a bad idea. I shouldn't do this. But it sounds it, like she was really good at just pulling well, one sounds, over on it people. It sounded like it, it became a bad relationship and he was trying to get out. He was out. trying to get out, yeah. I think he was. And because of who she is, mm-hmm. it was it was difficult because like even the dad, I mean, the way that she would talk to him uh and the one of the guys um the investigator guy that they were talking to um made the comment. He's like one minute you're really angry at her and the next minute you're sympathetic toward her. And it's that's kind of the mm-hmm. reaction that she would get. She from had you. like a charisma yeah. and a, an ability to kind of manipulate people's in, like interpretations. Mm-hmm. And you said she was very domineering. Like she would be yes. controlling people. and So it's like she would call up and say, I want this car. I don't, I don't need it. I have a car, mm-hmm. but it's, but I want it. And then she would start to cry because, oh, it's all I have left of Scott. Mm-hmm. And that's how I remember him. And just to be able to drive it would, you know, make a connection. Mm-hmm. Really? <laughs> but I know. I mean, I listen to somebody. And- according to the... Just by looking at that picture, it was a sweet car. <laughs> right? In, in 1990, that would have been. Yeah, that would have been pretty yeah. good. Yeah. So, and of course, it had a good stereo system. Well, yeah. Because he, you know, works on stereo. That's yeah, right. Yeah. Yes. Traveling around with a bum stereo. <laughs> <laughs> huh. So, it was very fascinating. Yeah. Just learning about all this stuff and. Mm-hmm. So I don't do, I do not know if they try to try cases without bodies and weapons very often. I don't think so. I don't think they do either. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think for her to get 20 years mm-hmm. in a case like that is probably pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Which is so really sad that you can't say unless the body is found. Right. <laughs> and we have more, even more proof that you did mm-hmm. it. Um, hmm. So. Wow. Anyway. So now he's... um. Scott is now buried. His his parents had had put an uh, empty grave marker mm-hmm. um, by his grandparents out in Lubbock, and so they were able to to bury him. Were his parents still alive when they found him? They were, and um, they were not even when he went missing. They were not married uh, anymore, but um, they both made statements uh, to the press. After 21 years of heartache, I mean, they basically just wanted to find his body. Mm-hmm. They wanted to know that, 
Yeah. That he wasn't buried somewhere and... Just, well, and I think, yeah. you know, without it, it, you still, even though you've seen all the blood and you know that that's mm-hmm. happened, you still don't know. Right. And, right. And then you got contra- a little of a contradictory evidence here. Well, he lost a lot of blood, but not enough to kill him. Right. The head wounds might have killed him. Mm-hmm. Or he might have just been disoriented. Yeah. Did he stumble out somewhere and is in some other town with amnesia no <laughs> no he'd have been a <laughs> he'd have left a blood trail yes <laughs> so but just from reading mine mm-hmm. i'm like you know people will believe all kinds of nonsense yes <laughs> especially if they're looking over at her and she's like looking all sad and you're like oh i feel sorry for her and yeah maybe maybe he didn't die you know what? I think if she had looked sad during the trial, if she hadn't flirted with the guy mm-hmm. in the the jury box, maybe they oh, would no. have been more sympathetic yeah. to her. <laughs> well, the other guy got 10 years probation. I know. Oh, he did have a $10,000 fine, too. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if he, did, if he messed up on his payments, in yeah. it goes. But, yeah. but that's also the thing. We're gonna we're gonna give you a payment plan. Yeah. A very generous one, uh-huh. I'm sure. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So hmm. anyway, I am very thankful to the police in Texas that did a much better job than the ones in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um so the sad thing is too is the uh, two prosecutors uh, both passed away before they the body. Him. Yeah, before mm. the body was found. So that is a sad thing. But yeah. Anyway. All right. Well, that's that's all I got today. That's all I got. Today. <laughs> Those are interesting stories. And yeah. Anytime a murder is involved, it's always like it's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's terrible. So I mean, it's it's kind of like redundant to have to it's, say that, but but what happened here was really like oh my god, it was so much a miscarriage of justice, like yeah. all over the place for decades. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like well, and you know that there's two that were proven. I mean, the first guy mm-hmm. wouldn't have been exonerated. If the other guy hadn't confessed. That's right. And so you know that there's other people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. There's, like I said, there, there's a lot to unpack in this book, and I mm-hmm. highly recommend that people read it. Mm-hmm. I just gave a little bit of these two because they were connected, and that was kind of what they were focusing on. Yeah. There's tons of cases that they bring up where these two snake oil salesmen just work their magic and tons people still sitting in prison even though they have been discredited and Mm. yeah it's crazy come check it out and the the weird mental gymnastics that the state did like it's just Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so much to so much in this book (laughs) so just one more problem about our criminal justice system yeah Mm -hmm. that you think you don't have a problem with but yeah. Anyway. All right. All right. Well, this has been Do We Like Murder? Thank you for listening.